let's, let's just bow together for prayer before, uh, as we uh, come to the Lord and before we uh, get into the, the service. Father, thank you that we can gather together in your presence and know, Lord, that your word says in your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Thank you, O oh God, for your grace and your mercies which are new every morning. Thank you for your love for us, Father, shown to us in so very many ways. Thank you, O oh God, for your grace. You're a constant abiding grace, Lord, a grace that sustains us, keeps us. Lord, even as the hymn writer said, he will keep, he will keep me till the river flows as water at my feet. Or as John Newton said, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing his praise than when we first begun. God in heaven, we pray that as we gather together, fill our hearts, fill our mouths, fill our lips with praise unto our great God. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Just I had one other announcement. I've been meaning to announce this. You'll see these huge uh, little cards at the door. That is the Faith Mission Praise Night, and it's in Brasian uh, Community Centre. Andrew McCullough is speaking, and I'm sure there'll be other people singing. You wouldn't want to hear Andrew McCullough sing because he can't sing. And he will tell you that himself. <laughs> but uh, this, it's a praise night, and it's on the 24th of February at 7.30 p.m. in Brasian Community Centre. That's there in the foyer. Please take it with you. Here's all the pieces of, of information, that little card which spells out our vision, and that if you are thinking of becoming a member, or if you come on a re regular basis, please take that with you as well. And there's some interesting reading there for you. All right, we'll hand over to the, the, the praise group and we're going to sing a few songs. We'll stand and sing together, Hosanna in the highest. past week has sucked the very life out of you. Uh, that's all the more reason for coming to church. This next song will tell you the reason, a good reason, that the weak say, I am strong.
I've been rehearsing from last Thursday that this song is not called Gravity, <laughs> it's called Gratitude. Uh, we will learn this morning, and just by way of introduction, that whenever Abraham brought tithes to Melchizedek, it wasn't out of anything else other than gratitude. There was no church to tithe to, it was out of gratitude. We bring not only our tithes this morning, we bring our time, our testimony, and our worship. And we're going to sing gratitude.
Father, we're here today because of your mercies. Lord, we've got up this morning, we've had breath in our bodies, desire in our heart, we've had food on our table, we have clothes on our back, we have a roof over our heads, we have joy in our heart, we have love and peace and the many blessings, Lord, that we often take for granted. And oftentimes we let the world rob us and Lord, therefore robbing us of our song. And Lord, you are worthy of our song this morning. You're worthy of all the glory and all the honor and all the praise that we will give to him. You're worthy, Lord, of exaltation, of being exalted, of being lifted up above the world's troubles and the problems of life. You're worthy of it all. And so, Lord, we come with our tributes of praise. We come with our thanksgiving in heart. We come, Lord, with our joy in our soul. We come, Lord, with a song on our lips. And we say, you are worthy of it all. I will throw up my hands and sing this song of praise to our great God. Our Father, continue to be amongst us, Lord. Let these little moments of worship and praise that rises from our hearts and our lips not only be the odd occasion, but maybe the regular event of our experience of God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to ask the boys and girls, please, if they'll come forward. Although I think they're, some of them are missing again, but please, I need all the help I can get. So on you come, we're going to sing deep and wide, deep and wide. And after this, Emma Gordon, wherever she's sitting, where, where are you, Emma? How far away are you? Uh, right, that's all right. Well, you only have the church to walk up. That's all right. Okay. We're going to sing deep and wide, deep and wide. This is your time to get a wee bit of exercise. All right. We'll let you stay seated. All right. We'll not have you walking around in circles. That'll be all right. Because I was afraid of you doing an injury last Sunday. All right. Deep and wide, deep and wide. Thank you very much. And thank you for helping, boys and girls.
I just say, thank you very much. I just say you're as young as you feel, isn't that right? All right, we're going to have the boys and girls there going to leave us just now. They're heading to Sunday school. And those who will be going out with them, please, thank you very much. Teachers, Emma, if you don't mind, would you please come and read uh, a portion? Then we go into our next uh, stage. Thank you very much. Our reading this morning is Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. For you formed my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvellous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skilfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written. The days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I, th- if I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I am awake, I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men, for they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I, hate, do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. A tremendous psalm describing the wonder of uh, our creation and God's part in all of our, our lives. We're going to get you to stand and sing one more time this time. Thank you for the cross, Lord.
You may be seated. Am I not working? then turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53. I'm going to read a few verses together from Isaiah 53. Uh, sorry, we'll actually read from verse uh, chapter 52. Actually, the, sec- the section starts in uh, verse 13 of chapter 52. And if you've got a, an ESV Bible, you'll know it says there uh, that he was pierced for our transgressions as a title uh, over that process of Scripture. And it goes all the way through Isaiah 53 to the end. We won't do that, but we will read from verse, chapter 52, verse 13. As we prepare our hearts and mind, and as we uh, again remind ourselves of the great cost and the great price that was paid uh, uh, for our redemption and the, the cause, the purpose, the motivation for which we gather around the table to remember him. And if you know and love the Lord, you are indeed very welcome indeed uh, to, be, uh, to gather with us and to share in the emblems that pass amongst us. It's a token of remembering what he has done for us. And if you know and love the Lord, then you're indeed very welcome. If you don't know the Lord, then you can just let the emblems pass away. But it's good for you to observe the appreciation that God's people show for his love for us. Verse 13 of Isaiah 52 says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up, and he shall be exalted. As many as were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see and that which they have not heard they now understand. Chapter 53 starts with a question, who? Who has believed what he has, heard from, what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he that is Jesus grew up before him a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. That word esteemed is estimated. Uh, Just by way of uh, explanation, that word comes from the cattle mart. When, When you go to a cattle mart, and not that I have done much of that or any of that, I was at the odd cattle mart, the farmer goes to the beast that he fancies in, in, in purchasing and he weighs it up and he tries it and looks at it and sees it if it's good breed and good quality and will it be a good uh, part of his, uh, of his herd. And, and he looks at it and, and he goes for the one that appeals to him the most. That's the word estimated here. Man looked at him. The Bible says that he came unto his own and his own received him not. In other words, they estimated him as having no value. The earlier verses explained to us he has no form of uh, uh, godliness, and the King James says he has no form of godliness that we should desire him. 
There was no beauty that we... In other words, man looks for a, a rising star or some performer. They look for some superman with a super talent. But Jesus was amongst men and he wasn't the most appealing, it seems. And certainly when man's hand was finished with him, he was unrecognizable. You couldn't tell whether he was a human being or not. So mutilated was his body. Because they didn't estimate him as being of any value or worth. In other words, they didn't see what the real need was in their own hearts. And therefore, what he had to offer was unimportant. We know better, don't we? We know better. Let's read on. And it says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Now he's beginning to put a bit of value on what he has done. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Thank God for Calvary. Thank God for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God for what he has done, that he was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Early this morning, I was thinking of the sacrifice that Christ made. Early this morning, I was thinking about that great battle, that great uh, encounter, that great conflict uh, that happened when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and there's an old, old song that says he could have called 10,000 uh, angels. Uh, and it's, it, it is in the, in, the verse, in the scriptures, it said he could have called 12 legions of angels. In other words, he could have called the angels to destroy the world. That, they were at his beck and call. But he determined, determined that he was going to die for you and for me. He knew the value of every precious soul. He knew the desire of the Father's heart. He knew the consequences of what it would mean that if you and I would put our trust in him, it would be glory all the way. Don't you come with hearts full of thanks this morning, don't you? Do you come with hearts of thanksgiving? Are you come with praise on your lips? Have you come with that desire just to, worthy of it all, tell him, Lord, you are worthy of it all. We come today because we have been redeemed by precious blood. Our sins are forgiven. We have peace with God. Our future is secure. And our past is forgiven. And we have a great, bright future ahead of us. It's better on before. What a glorious, glorious salvation is ours. Are you saved today? Do you know the Lord today? Is your past wiped clean? And have you got a new direction with a new heart? You want to sing that song? I will serve him. I will serve him because I love him. He has given life to me. I was not. For you found me, you have. 
heart aches. together. There are a number of folk who have been in contact with me. They say that there is prayer needed. We want to continue to remember William McKendry, who's still in hospital. We want to think Sam McAleese, who's still in hospital. We think of uh, Joel Moore. We think of, uh, we're thankful that Robin Gordon is here this morning. We want to think of Bertha Steele and the passing of our uh, loved one. And so let's bring these all before the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you that we can lift one another up in the, in the arms of faith and love. And Lord, we leave that uh, our God is with us in a very real way. We ask God that we, as we lift these folk up, that you will know them, you will touch them, and they will know your, your healing, know your grace, know your strength, know your uh, comfort and encouragement. Think too, Lord, of the Wilson family and Heather, as she uh, put... Uh, I said goodbye to our mum this past week, Lord. And Lord, all of these need our prayers. And Lord, our work needs your, your, our prayers as we lift the work of God before you. We ask, Lord, that this place will become a hive of spiritual activity for the glory and honour of your name. Lord, that we might be revived so we might revive others around us. Thank you, Lord, that you're faithful. And, O oh God, as we come to you now, we look to you for your hand upon us in your word. Give us real liberty and freedom. Give us that sense of anointing, God, for the listener and for the preacher. Lord, may it be two united together with God speaking right through us and to us. As we lift an offering and tithe, Lord, we pray that you'll take it up and use it for your eternal glory. And may the work of God impact hearts in these coming days, for Christ's sake. And everybody said... Amen. We're going to get your main seated for the first part. We're going to sing that song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, and then with the offering and tithes, the Lord's work is lifted. Thanks.
Sometimes a preacher does a fair wee bit of battling and sometimes things fall to him quite easily. Uh, this has been one of those battling weeks. Uh, I suppose maybe as much as I was fighting with an old computer that I bought, I wish I'd never bought it. Uh, and it's not doing what it's telling, and I'm telling it, and then I have to wipe it clear and then reset it again, then it says not enough memory, so I don't know what I've done wrong, but Alan Kirk, I need you, all right, some stage. But other times you're just battling in a spiritual sense because what God wants to bring to a people uh, is sometimes contended by the devil and the agent of hell. Uh, this title has changed a number of times. I gave it to Catherine on, I think it was Thursday night or early Friday morning, and the title I gave her was, What is Man That Thou Art Mindful of Him? Uh, and I just knew I wanted to speak about man, but I didn't know what I wanted to say. <laughs> that's, that's a bit of a strange one, isn't it? Uh, and then it has changed, and I finally have come to a conclusion. The best title I can put it on is, Man, What a Plan. Think about it, man, what a plan. God's plan for man. 
It's become so devastated and distorted that we hardly know what a man is. We don't even know what a man or a woman is anymore. With all the distorted uh, information that's going into the minds of people today in school, and colleges, and university, and freedom, and, and gender fluidity, what is a man? What is a man that they're mindful of him? What, is, what a plan. So let's read together just one verse. We're going to be maybe quite a wee bit in Genesis 1, here and there. But, uh, and, and I'm trusting the Lord. And so you pray for me and we'll see what happens in, in this service. Uh, Genesis 1 and 26. If you want to know what the plan is, it's all here in verse 26. God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Amen. We trust that the Lord will bless that reading of his word. You probably heard me tell this story, only the, the story that I told at last was a young fellow, but this happened to be a story of a young girl. Whether it's true or not, I don't know, but I'm sure we can all put ourselves in this situation. Mary was always very intense. She, she, uh, she, whenever she was with her mummy, mummy couldn't keep her entertained in anything because as soon as mummy would set her the job to do, Mary would have it done in two minutes, just like her granddaughter. And, and, and so mummy would say, Mary, will you go and maybe you sweep the floor? And of course, Mary would be back in two minutes, the floor was swept. Mary, will you go up and tidy the bedroom? And of course, five, five minutes or so, Mary would be back. And poor mummy was trying to get a wee bit of work done in the kitchen and getting the, the food ready and, and everything. And of course, couldn't keep Mary out of from under her hair. So what Mary, Mary's mummy did was she went away and got a newspaper. And she cut it up in sections. It was a picture of the world that was in the front part of this newspaper and she cut it up in sections thinking that she had got into so many little pieces that Mary would be there for hours trying to make up the puzzle. Hands up those of you who do like doing puzzles. I have a sister-in-law in this service and is it many 10,000 pieces you like doing Susan? I don't know how you get the time to do it but anyway that's another thing and I know it's a favourite pastime of people. Well uh, this was up to many little pieces and within 10 minutes Mary came back with a picture of the world fully in place how did you do that Mary well mummy it was simple there was a picture of a movie star of a man on the other side and all I had to do was make sure I got him right and everything fell into place it is so true that if man is put and gets back into his place then the world will be back in place. What we need to be thinking about is, what is man? What a plan. The interesting thing in the book of Genesis, which is, um, if, you, if you don't already know, and I'm sure you do, the book of Genesis is known as the book of beginnings. Everything that we're going to encounter and everything we're going to learn and everything we're going to see is always began as its beginnings in the book of Genesis. The Bible says he laid the plans for man and for every human being and for all society in the book of Genesis. Let me give you a few ideas because the scientists weren't the first. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, it says there that, and we read it together, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. Right there we have got the very basis of science. He laid the very foundation and the basis for science. Listen to what it says. We have time, we have force, we have motion, we have space, and we have matter. In the beginning, that's time. God, that's force. Created, that's motion. 
heaven, that's space, and earth, that's matter. So in the very, very first verse of the very first chapter in the Bible, God lays out the pattern for science. That's an interesting thing. And it's important for us to know that the scientists had nothing to start with had God not put it into place. Here's the second thing. Not only the formula for science, you'll also notice in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24 that he made the matter for science. He laid out the matter for, for marriage. A man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave. That word cleave is like glue or cement. When you're married, you heard me say it before, you're stuck with him. Literally. Now I know, listen, this was in a perfect environment. And that's how God had planned the perfect environment. God always planned that anything and everything that the world would experience would come from a family unit who knew and loved God and walked in fellowship with him and they would in fact affect the whole world and the world. And in fact, whenever you destroy the family basis, you've destroyed the world. He laid out the plan for marriage very quickly because I've uh, maybe got too much to say this morning. But he also laid out the consequences for murder. You'll find that in Genesis chapter 4 when Cain rose up against his brother and he slew him. You know that word slew in the old King James? If you take out the Hebrew word, you'll understand he mutilated him. He didn't only kill him, he cut him in ribbons. Such was his vicious uh, resentment to the fact that, that uh, Abel's sacrifice was accepted. Spiritual jealousy is rife today. That he, he was driven to cut his brother up to pieces. And the interesting thing is whenever God comes, this is a very interesting point, I'm not going to go into it, but God says, I have heard his blood. If you go into a careful understanding, and this is probably why I was getting all tied up in, in preparation, because I go too deep sometimes, and then I find myself, I can't resurface. But here's what it says. It says when he was requiring his blood, the Bible, the Bible, the Hebrew would, in, would infer that it was also not only Abel's uh, life, but the lives that he would have fathered after in his life. And it affected generation after generation. Here, let me put it, let me cut to the chase. The world was a lot worse off with Abel's murder. Well, wasn't he the man that wanted to worship the Lord? Wasn't he the one that brought the prescribed, and I'm not going to take time because I know I want to go into take time, but I can't take time as to how we know that the the blood of a sacrifice was real, was the right way to go, not not the work of your hands. We know this, that whenever God, the first animal that was killed was God killed it. Because he sacrificed an animal to cover Adam and Eve. And we believe, those of us who are students of the Bible, we believe that God was teaching Adam and Eve, this is the way to be right with God because there's a cloak of righteousness that's not yours, it comes from another. The world was a lot worse off when Abel was murdered. Who knows the countless people that he would affect it? I'll pull myself back from all of this because that's another study. And in Genesis, not only does he lay down the matter for for marriage, not only does he lay down the matter for for science, not only does he lay down the matter for for, uh, murder, 
But also you'll find in Genesis chapter 14, he lays down, he lays down the matter of money. And we've already said that. That the very first offering and tithe, the church doesn't tithe nowadays. We, we, we give, well, we give a few pounds. Now, I'm not saying that of here. I'm just saying in a general sense. I'm not making any accusations, nor am I putting any pleas out for money. Um, absolutely. And nobody has put me up to say what I'm going to say. But we have to be honest and fair with God's word. The tithe is as my understanding, and my wife is quite firm on this, so don't you talk to her about tithing if you don't want to hear the truth. And the tithing is this 10% of everything you earn is not yours. And your free will offering is given after that. And when it comes to the matter of, of Abraham tithing to Melchizedek, he was not doing it out of duty. He was not doing it because he was a member of a church. He was not doing it to, be, to appeal to the people to see how much. She, you know, whenever I was in, the, in my church when I was growing up, we used to have the blue book. Does anybody know what the blue book is? And in the blue book, you had the financial report. And the only thing that I, there's some boys, and they were at the very top of the pile. So-and-so gave 5,000 pounds this year by their walking to church. And some of us poor critters hadn't got five pennies to rub together. I want to remind you that the Bible talks about the widow's mate. The widow's mate. But no matter what you give, no matter how you give it, it's given in gratitude to God because you have breath in your body, you have life in your soul, and your spirit has, spirit has been reignited by the mighty power and supernatural power of God. Isn't that right? So he lays down the matter for money. But in Genesis, he also lays down the plan or the matter for man. And that's where I want to get this today. I know I haven't enough time for the material. I'm praying that God will give us liberty, give us a clear mind, and I'll, I'll, I'll cut out the stuff that doesn't have to be said, and we'll try and emphasize the things that I believe the Lord wants us to say. Man, an essential part of God's plan. Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. God's an intentional God. He works according to a blueprint and a purpose. And the Presbyterians got it right. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Here's an interesting thing. Whenever God created and created the, 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 the heavens and the earth and the, and, and, and the, the ground and the seas, he, 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 after he created them, when he was going to create animals and birds and fish, he, created to the, he spoke to the earth and he spoke to the sea. You'll find that in Genesis 1. And when he spoke to the earth, animals came forth. When he spoke to the sea, fishes came forth. But he spoke to himself whenever man came forth. Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And whatever he brought it from had to stay connected to that. For the grass to stay living had to be connected to the ground. Are you still with me? This is almost like a lecture, isn't it? When the fish wanted to stay living, they had to stay connected to the sea. And if man wants to stay living, he has to stay connected to God. 
Stay connected to God. If you want to kill either of those, you pull them out of their environment. And they'll soon wither and die. And we know that in these verses we learn that Trinity was involved. Let us. The word there that God is is used for God is Elohim. Elohim is the plural name for God. And I know that whenever we think of plural name for God, we think of more than one. Well, this plural word is more, it means more than two. And we see them right at the beginning. In the beginning, God creates the way of God, and the Spirit hovered over the earth as the Spirit. And we know from John chapter 1 and verse 1, in, he was in the beginning with the Father. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were involved in our creation. In our creation. The Father said, I will make man. The Son said, I will save man. And the Spirit says, I will keep man. The Holy Spirit, the Father and Son, are involved in our walk with God and our relationship and our life. We don't emphasize one over the other. All three are essential in our life and our work and our witness. Man was made for a reason, for a purpose. It says in Romans 1 and verse 20, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Man was created to show the attributes and nature and character of God in the world. To show his uh, the evidences, you see, the world, the world will tell you how glorious and powerful God is. The, the seas will tell you of his, his mystery and his, his majesty. But man tells us of his character and his nature, how he's loving, he's kind, he's forgiving, he's merciful, he's gracious. And he has imagination, he has creative abilities, which the world doesn't necessarily tell us. Man is three-dimensional, therefore, his body, soul, and spirit. The body deals with the world consciousness. The soul deals with self-consciousness, and the spirit deals with God consciousness. The body looks out, the soul looks in, and the spirit looks up. God has created man to be strong and to be godly and to be righteous and to be holy to be imaginative and to be gracious and careful and forgiving in the hardest of days, in the happiest of days, in the home and the here and there. God is concerned that we realize that we have potential in salvation to be able to exalt his name in our world. And how far short we are falling. And I know and you know and I know that you know that the reason for that is the fall of man, isn't it? Man has an essential part in God's plan. Just like Israel had an essential part when he called out of Egypt that the world may know that there is a God and what sort of a God he is. 
And in that behavior or that attitude and his attributes that man, that the world will see, there is a gracious, loving, kind, affectionate God. Let us very quickly run on because I'm not going to take time to expand that man has an essential part in God's plan, but man is an extension of God's presence. Now, not in our fallen nature. We are, as Jesus said in John chapter 8, I think it was, he says, you're of your father the devil and the lust of your father you will do. And so we know that the world was, was desperately destroyed and, and we have all the, the, the inhumanity to man as a consequence of Adam and Eve's f- a, a, a choice as they were deceived by the devil and he caused them to fall and he injected the venom of sin and perversion and distortion. Now you don't need me to go into all that, sure you don't. You know all about that, don't you? You're, you're well versed in Northern Ireland, surely, that the the reason, the way you were born that, and, the, and the, the, the nature and the character which you have and possess, you inherited from fallen Adam. For Adam, as in one man, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin and so death has passed upon all men and so whilst we might be living, we're dead. We're dead to God. We're dead to spiritual life. We're dead to spiritual activity and we're dead to the spiritual dominion that God had given man. He says because he said in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, he says have commi- dominion. But we took our dominion, our authority, and we handed it over to the devil, and that's why he's the prince and the power of the air. But do you think that God was going to leave it like that? And therefore we come to the wonderful plan of redemption and salvation in Christ. So here's what you are if you're in Christ today. You have been restored to your original program and purpose. Because it says in Ephesians 2 that we are his, what is it? Boy, you're, I, I must be boring this morning. I feel I'm boring. But I hope I'm not boring you to tears. We are, this is to understand who man is. When I mean man, I mean mankind. Don't think that I'm rounding on the men. I'm rounding on everyone here. This is what you are supposed to be. Here's what the word says. You are his Do you know what that workmanship, you know the Greek word means? We are a work of art. Sent to display to all the world that God, though the world was lost and though the world was was, was in darkness and though the world was dead, that God in Christ has redeemed us and recalled us back to that place of original position where we can exalt and be a work of art again. Isn't it little wonder that Jesus said in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, or Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5 17, if any man be in, he is a, a new creation. So in other words, at salvation, he is recreating us anew back to our former glory and back to the original purpose for which... You know that word workmanship, not only is it a, is it a masterpiece, it may, or it means a masterpiece or a work of art, it also means poem. Poem. And any poem is a work of art. I, I remember, I remember, I don't know, I'm not interested in art very much. I can I look at it and I don't know what the artist saw. The Mona Lisa. I mean, I, have you ever looked at the Mona Lisa? Huh? I, I, I'm not saying what I think. All right, maybe this is not the right environment to say it. But the Mona Lisa, she's got this grey, grim on her, you know, you don't know whether she's sad or happy or glad or mad or whatever. You know, that kind of way. But they say that a restorer went to the Mona Lisa 
and he was to restore the Mona Lisa, and he, he noticed that if you put it up and you did a, an, a, an x-ray on it, there was an older painting under it. And what they demised and they deducted was he went over it again and again and again till he got it right. Well, I know this, the song, uh, the song agrees with me, well, he's still working on me. To make my way, I ought to be. The day you were saved, you weren't perfect. The day you were converted, you weren't suddenly uh, Mr. and Mrs. Uh, wonderful. But God began a process because here's where the church goes wrong. That we think that whenever we get saved, that all of a sudden we become hermits and become some kind of a glorious, per, per, uh, precious and priceless and uh, perfect preachers. And all the while, he still has a work to do on us. You know, in... in, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 6 and 19, it says that we are, we are uh, not our own. We are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in our bodies. Man is God's greatest recovery, miraculous recovery program. And he's making us what we ought to be. And there are some things that we can do to help ourselves along. And, the, and he says in his word how we can do it. In Psalm 121, he says, lift up your eyes onto the hills. It says in Isaiah, look unto me and be ye saved. So with our eyes, we're to look to him. With our mind, we're to ponder him. He says, let this mind be in you. With our ears, we are to listen to him. As any man have ears, let him hear. With our heart and our mouth, we are to praise and proclaim him. With our hands, we are to be found busy for him. And with our knees, we, well, it says, and every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. And with our feet, we are to run with patience the race that is set before us. You see, God has a way of bringing us to that place where we, are, we, we understand who we are, we understand our need, and we look to him for help and use every faculty that God has given to us to not, first of all, satisfy and gratify ourselves, but to seek for him. And oftentimes he puts us through the mill, and we got that this last two weeks, and I'm not going to go into it today. He allows us to go through the mill so that we can come to that place where we see him, we shall be like him. Man's potential Man is an extension of God's presence. We, we, we see and we act and react. We love and we learn and we listen. And we deal with the things the way God has required us to. Here, here's where I want to get to tonight. Man is to exhibit the power of God. Did you notice what it says there in verse 26? It says there, let him have dominion over the fish of the sea the birds of the heaven, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. We are to exhibit the power of God. We are not powerless, as some of us think we are. When somebody says, I beat the devil, no, you didn't beat the devil. My dear friend, if you submit yourself uh, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. There's an interesting few verses in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18. It says, all power. The word there, all power, he says, all power is given unto me. He says, go ye. So therefore, all power is the word exorcia, which means authority. 
In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, we have, you shall receive power, which is the Greek word dunamis, which is dynamite. In Ephesians 6 and verse 10, we have the Greek word kratos, which means restraining power. And in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said, I will build my church. The, word, the Greek word is ecclesia. So he takes his exorcia, his authority, he places it behind his ecclesia, his church, and then he gets his dunamis and he puts it in the church. In other words, whenever God saved you and I and brought us into the church, he gave us two things. He gave us the ability to give direct divine authority and he also gave us an ability to destroy all demonic activity. Now, we're going to get to it now. We're going to get to it. We're weak and weary and oftentimes frail and, frail and feeble. And we, we have dark clouds that come over us and we, we can't pick ourselves up above, uh, above our knees. And we allow ourselves and our thoughts and the life and that the, well, we, the, our fall, old fallen nature to take over. But God says, I've given you authority. I've given you dominion. I've given you power over devils, demons, and all of hell. My dear friend, we should not be playing the victim card. We should be playing the victor's card. Because God's plan is that we would have dominion over the world. Oh, where do we go? He plans, now don't misunderstand me here when I say this, he plans the dawn of your life. Now I know that your mother and father had a big part in you coming into, into being. Without them you wouldn't have come. But my dear friend, ask not what I'm thinking. Every man has a season and he has brought us to the world for such a time as this. And I want you to hear this, because this is very important. He says, in Jeremiah chapter, chapter 1 and verse 5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And he says, and before you were born, I consecrated you. And I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Let me, hear, let me get to the gist of it. God has a season for you. He has a moment and a time whenever you will... Be the, the blessing that God has purposed and planned for our world and in our day. And today it could just be that day. Here's a dawn for you. A day whenever he will demonstrate his power through your life. Not only has he planned the dawn of your life, he has planned the design of your life. This is important for you young people as a school. God decides if you're going to be a man or a woman, not you. And it wasn't genes in your mum and dad, whatever, may, whatever way God designed you, stick with the design. You hear about the woman? It had to be a woman, hadn't it? And she went to the Lord and asked, Grant me long life, Lord. And the Lord says, It's done. And she was so excited, the Lord told her she was going to live a long time. She went and she sewed uh, on some new hair and she had her lips filled with Botox and her ears straightened up, whatever happened then. And she had uh, a breast reduction, she had a tummy tuck and she had a facelift and she had eyebrows, just like some of you folk down there. And she moved some stuff from the front to the back and then she walked up in front of a car and was killed. And then when she stood before the Lord, she says, Lord, she said, I thought, you, I thought you guaranteed and you, you promised me that I have going to have a long life. Oh, he says, I didn't know because you didn't recognize you. <laughs> In a world that's distorting and perverting 
God's creative power and plan. And, and what I see afoot today is just, just create enough conversation uh, to, to, to confuse the mind of young people as to what a man is and what a woman is. And then they have them hook, line, and sinker. God designed you a woman. God designed you a man. Very quickly, now he planned the ditches of your life. I call this ditch theology. It's the stuff you learn when you're in a ditch, and I don't mean it physically. I used to pray, and, and I've told you before that I used to pray, Lord, uh, make me more like Christ, or make me more Christ-like. And then he used to send the ditches in life to make me more like Christ. And then whenever the ditches came, I said, Lord, get me out of this ditch. And the Lord says, well, what, what do you want? Do you want to be in a ditch, or what do you want to be? It's not difficult to tell if someone has been in a ditch and then has been brought out. They're rejoicing and thanking God. Some of you have been in a ditch for a couple of years. And your soul is beginning to live again. But you have to remind yourself, what was God teaching you in that ditch? A Christian who's been in a ditch doesn't have to be made to read the scriptures. He doesn't have to be made to come and praise God in a, in a church service. He doesn't have to be asked to, if he would be involved to give his testimony. Someone who's been in a ditch knows where he's been and he's thankful to God that he's not in the ditch anymore. That's ditch theology. God has planned the destiny of your life. This is an interesting one. In Romans 8 and verse 37, it says that we are more than conquerors. There's actually three words that make up that word more than uh, conquerors. The, the Greek word is hypome or hippomone is how I spell it here, how you pronounce it. It means steadfastness, constancy, and Perseverance. God develops steadfastness and perseverance through the things that we're tested. It seems to me that at that time, whenever Paul was writing that verse, on Mount Olympus in Greece, they had an activity. The activity was that people would climb up Mount Olympus and people who were fairly healthy would make it to the top and those who didn't, well, they were not known as conquerors. Well, the people that made it to the top, they were known as conquerors. But they had another stage to this particular climb. The people would climb back down the Mount Olympus and they would be given some heavy loads and then they would go back up the mountain. And those that made it to the top were known as to be more than conquerors. And God sometimes allows us to carry heavy loads. Remember Edwin here, he said that whenever you've got something in your hand, it's okay for the first few minutes. But after hours go, and maybe perhaps a half a day goes, your arm gets very tired. Some of you perhaps have been carrying a heavy load. But remember this, God is fashioning you, and God is enabling you, and God is making you more than a conqueror. Whatever you're dealing with in your life, and in your home, and in your family, and in your heart, God is causing you to stand up under the strain. And in that case, then you'll be more than a conqueror. Here's a strange one. He has planned your death. Now, I want to... I believe, I believe Sam Workman when he said this, a man can die before his time. The Bible says that. 
You live reckless. You live godless. And you live, and, and listen, if you went out in the, in the middle of a busy road and get knocked down, my dear friend, you've died before your time, as far as I can see. But in, Acts, in, in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, it says, It's appointed unto man once today. So he's not necessarily talking about the time. He's not talk, talking about the method. He's talking about the condition. The condition. The word of God says, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. In Psalm 11, 116 verse 15, it says, Precious in the sight of the Lord. So can I tell you why it's precious? Because... It's precious because they have lived a faithful, fervent, obedient, disciplined life. And they have gotten to the end victorious over the plans and pitfalls of the enemy. Every morning you get up, the first thing you ought to say to the Lord is, Thank you, Lord, for not turning the key over in my life that I have yet another day to live and I'm looking forward to the plan and the purpose that you have for me. So let's do a little quick recap. Man is, to, is, an, is an essential part of God's plan. Man is an extension of God's presence as he is. So, so Paul says, so are we in this world. We've been baptized with the Spirit and we've been enabled and empowered to live above the power of the world and we are to uh, exhibit the, the characters and the nature and the presence of God in the home, in the happiest of times and in the hardest of situations. So we are to exhibit God's presence. Destroy the family unit and the godly home and the enemy will destroy society. He will, and I know some of you here work amongst people of depraved uh, situations. But God also, God also wants to exhibit his power through you. We are to exhort and exert our authority over the enemy. And so sometimes people are often beaten down. I'm watching the clock. Sometimes people are often beaten down. But we are more than conquerors. We can take our divine authority, our divine privilege, our divine birthright, and we can stand against the wiles of the enemy, pleading the mighty name of Jesus. Maybe you've been beaten down this last while. Maybe you've been battling like I've been battling this past week. You need to get down before God on your knees and say, God, I take authority over that in Jesus' name. I, I don't want to because there are children in the service, but I can tell you at times... When I was in circumstances down in Port Leash in County Wicklow, uh, sorry, Port Leash in the Midlands of Ireland, it's not in County Wicklow, of course, it's County Leash. Um, when, I've, when, I, when I've had been in a room where we've been praying for individuals and saw the power of the enemy broken in people's lives, and I believe that power is still available today. Maybe you've come in with a darkness over you or with a heaviness over you. God says you have to have a dominion over the enemy. We are not victims. We are victors. And that's what he's been building up on us again. To make us steadfast, to persevere, to stand up under the strain. 
so we can rely and depend upon him to enable us, to empower us in the times that we are up against it. Are you beaten today? Would you avail of prayer this morning as we bring this service to a conclusion? Let's bow together in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we, we, we pray, O oh God, that you will make clear the truth that you wanted to put over to hearts. God, that you will help those who perhaps, Lord, have not fully realized uh, your purpose and plan for them. Lord, we pray, O oh God, that those who are beaten down and trodden down, who are beaten with self-inferiority, uh, uh, Lord, or, or, or have been beaten down with some old habit, some old device of the devil, some old addiction, Lord, some who have, have discounted the value of their life and their life's value and worth. Lord, help them to realize today that they're, that they're priceless in the eyes of God. We pray, dear God, that you'll impart to those who need that new anointing, that fresh anointing, that realization of who they are in Christ today, and to know that all things have been made new. God grant us victory today in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to stand and sing together how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How deep the Father's love for us. And I always love the last verse of this song, which is a new verse to it, um, not written by the original author, uh, but will stand and sing. Please take specific notice of verse four. Thank you, Thomas.
Let's pray together. Lord, we realize today that you're about much more than just saving us from a lost eternity. We realize today, Lord, that you have much more of a higher purpose for man than we could ever, ever have imagined. Lord, thank you today that we are to display the mighty nature and character of God on earth today. And Lord, we know that was lost at the fall. But Lord, you've reminded us that salvation is all about bringing us back into fellowship, bringing us back into usefulness, bringing us back into that purpose. And Lord, this preacher knows that things happen and rob us of that confidence that we have, that, that sense of purpose. And oftentimes, Lord, many, many times we're, we're disillusioned, disheartened with the lack of progress even in our own lives. And we can adopt the victim mentality. Lord, you've reminded us whenever you saved us, you, you created us into a masterpiece. And Lord, that is determined not, not, by our obedience and our discipline with you. As we hear your voice, you have the words of life and you have the words of light. And so, Father, we pray that we will again, once again, Lord, uh, climb Mount Olympus and receive the, the, the blessing of, of knowing your sustaining hand by your indwelling power of the Spirit of God. Help us to take authority, Lord, over every demonic force that's arrayed against us. And help us to declare our victory in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, as we face a world that is opposed to God and godliness. Lord, help us to encircle our children and lift them up before God in authority and power. Help us, Lord, in our workplace where we hear the most rubbish that we can possibly hear. Lord, we pray that you'll help us to be stand, to stand firm and strong, displaying the mighty nature and power of God. And Lord, in our outreach and our witness for you, Lord, help the world to see there is a God in Israel. There's a God on, on the throne. And so, Father, we, that's our prayer, that's our pleading, that's our desire, and we roll it into your hands. In Christ's name we, we pray. And everybody said, Amen. and they shouted, Amen. Amen.